Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 56. <sighs> Relaxing, cleansing breath, Bucks fans. It was a long two days in between the Game 1 loss with the Giannis injury and the Game 2 win on Wednesday. No Giannis, no problem. I would prefer not to say that anymore, though. One game is enough. Hopefully he's ready by Saturday. But a even series now heads back to Miami. Bucks got to take one there. But just a lot more confidence coming out of that game on Wednesday. Meanwhile, the Brewers, speaking of confidence, we said at the beginning of the year they have to get off to a good start because they have so many tradable assets. Or if they got off to a bad start, we'd be talking about that as we hit the deadline. They are tied for the second best record in Major League Baseball and tied for the best record in the NL after a 7-3, and 10-game West Coast swing. Swing, where typically Brewer seasons go to die. They thrive on that trip, despite a bunch of injuries. No moving on Aaron Rodgers. We're less than a week away from the draft. I'm now convinced nothing is happening until after the draft. And popcorn on a plane, a viral tweet from Blue Jays relief pitcher Anthony Bass. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run. Morgan a smash up the middle, face hit the center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw and the Brewers win. Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's a and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in. talked about this Anthony Bass story on Tuesday or Wednesday. I was a little hesitant only because if there's one thing parents like, parents that listen to the B93 Morning Show or parents that listen to a podcast, I find that if there's one thing parents really enjoy, it's getting parental advice from somebody that doesn't have kids. They love that. Parents, traditionally speaking, love that. So I had to be careful about the way I prefaced this on the air and on the blog. And right now, it's even still feeling like a little bit of a minefield for me. But this was one of the most viral stories I've ever seen in my life. I know Twitter right now is littered with blue checkmark stories. Everybody lost their blue checkmark now. Elon's charging you for the blue checkmark. But before the blue checkmark storyline a day ago or today... This story on Twitter, I've never seen 76, or it's probably even more now. Let me click on it now and see where it's at. 78 million views on one tweet. I've never seen that. Even the most popular viral tweet. This is pop a horse pill viral. That is how viral this thing is. And it's such a small story ultimately, but man, did it generate reaction. Anthony Bass is a relief pitcher with a gentleman's 8 ERA, which he probably should be more worried about than this story, but that's probably another topic for another day. He's a relief pitcher for the Blue Jays. That's a part of why this went viral. He has 30 or 40,000 followers, which is not a ton in the grand scheme of things, but that's a part of why this probably started to take off. And his wife, he was not on this flight. His wife was on a flight with their two kids, a five and a two-year-old, And this is just what the tweet says. She must have sent him a picture. Anthony Bass tweeted out, The flight attendant at United, tagged United, 
just made my 22-week pregnant wife traveling with a five and a two-year-old get on her hands and knees to pick up the popcorn mess that my youngest daughter made. Are you kidding me? And I think that Anthony Bass thought that he was going to have everybody behind him on this tweet because why else would you tweet this out? The comment section response was decidedly not with Anthony Bass. And even the B93 text line was not with Anthony Bass. I have to admit, before I blogged and talked about this on the air, I heard another sports radio station in Milwaukee discussing this topic, and I had not seen the picture. When I got home and went on Twitter to load up this page, I expected, based on the amount of attention the story was getting, that this was going to be one of those child-sized bags of okie-dokie cheese popcorn or something had exploded. I expected people to be swimming like Scrooge McDuck in a money vault in popcorn, popcorn everywhere. It is maybe 20 kernels of popcorn that fell. And a follow-up tweet from Anthony Bass said that the flight, I've never been on United, so I don't know, do they give out the popcorn like it's a thing like airline peanuts or what does Southwest do? Stroopwafels, right? Is that Southwest or is that Delta? Somebody does Stroopwafels and those are amazing. But certain airlines have certain things that they give out. Midwest back in the day, I only flew Midwest once before it went bankrupt, but they had the warm chocolate chip cookies. Those were divine. But every airline has something like that. And he is saying that they gave his kids, or maybe everybody on the flight, the popcorn. So the popcorn came from United. That was a part of the story, too, that he tweeted a little bit later. And my my question was, for the parents that listen to B93 when I was on the air talking about this, my question was, what is your take on this? Because my gut take as a non-parent, and I admit, not having kids and not being pregnant like his wife is, 22 weeks pregnant, I do not have kids and I am not pregnant. That may make my opinion, my take on this, completely invalid, and I'm totally fine with it being invalid. That doesn't frustrate me at all. If you just want to say, John, you have no idea what you're talking about in this instance, you don't have the life experience to know what you're talking about, you're wrong, that is fine. I feel fine with that. I'm still going to say it, but I feel fine with you telling me I'm wrong. My feeling is you pick up your mess. That's what my parents would do. And when we talked about this on the air, my mom texted me. I was in the middle of a break. I hadn't even ended the break yet. And she texted me, you clean up after yourself. That's how I grew up, where you clean up after yourself before somebody tells you to clean up after yourself. And there may be a little bit of whining involved with that if you're a five or a two-year-old, a five-year-old specifically in this instance. But you clean up after yourself. I thought that's my feeling. I could be wrong. Most of the text line agreed. What was interesting to me and what I blogged about, something else had to be happening in this story. It's not enough popcorn for this to be a thing. Something between his wife, maybe, or maybe the kids were being allowed on the flight. I don't know. Something happened on this flight. Something extra happened here between this family, these three people, the mom who is pregnant and the two kids, and the flight attendant or the flight crew. Because it's just not enough popcorn for this to be that big of a story. It would take the five-year-old, or I'm guessing the 22-week pregnant wife. Now, again, I've never been pregnant, and I don't anticipate ever being pregnant. I don't know what it's like to have a child in my gut for 22 weeks. I'm sure it's not the most comfortable thing in the world. Maybe that is a big ask to clean up the popcorn. I literally have no idea. But I feel like she or the five-year-old or a podcaster blogger, it would have taken 30 seconds to clean up the popcorn, which also leads to the other side of the argument, which some people had, that it's such a small amount of popcorn, and they have a cleaning crew come through after every flight, just like at a movie theater, and there's always a cleaning crew that comes through with a vacuum as they're trying to turn things over. Why couldn't they just vacuum it up, or why couldn't the kid just pick it up? Simple solutions for a small amount of popcorn. 
That leads me to think, this is purely speculation, something else had to be happening there for that flight attendant specifically to get so agitated that he or she would ask this mom or the kids to clean up this very small amount of popcorn. But at the end of the day, the thing that was most stunning to me was the tweet generating as much attention and as many clicks and as many comments as it did. And I have to tip my cap a little bit to Anthony Bass. Even if you don't agree with what he's saying about his family or what he's saying about the situation, I have to tip my cap to him keeping this tweet up. He never deleted it. Let me tell you something. If I put something on Facebook or I tweet something from the B93 account or do something on Instagram and it's an opinion-based commentary – and I get two or three comments that tell me I'm wrong or something to the contrary or I have the wrong take or wrong opinion, I'll take that tweet down so fast. Like I said, I have no problem being told I'm wrong, but I would then take it down. I don't know that I'd stand by with the internet throngs of people coming after Anthony Bass. I don't know that I'd leave it up. So in that way, he's a much stronger person than I am to have left that up the entire time. He did have a subsequent tweet that made me laugh. He tweeted a picture of his two-year-old daughter out with a bag of smart popcorn after I'm sure this whole thing had settled down after a day. That did sort of make me laugh. But that was one of the most massively viral stories I have ever seen in my life. It's on the blog. It's on this podcast. You're listening to it right now. It's everywhere. Check it out. There's a lot of different takes. Most of them are against the Anthony Bass take, but crazy. All right, let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Where's my Eddie J. Lemberger here? I'm going to have to pay Eddie J. If this, if this championship run lasts as long as I want it to, I'm going to have to pay Eddie J. five figures of royalty fees. But I can't not have it. I love my Milwaukee Bucks. Cue the lyrics. It's a modern-day John Lennon right here. We fight supreme virtuosity. A supernatural, unflappable command of stealth, power, strength. This whole wide world believes in us. Shout, I love my Milwaukee Bucks. Got Bucks lust. Oh, Maybe if I only play that much of it, if I only play 40 seconds of it, what are the rules there? Maybe I don't have to pay if I only, if I only play a certain amount of it. It is just a sigh of relief, isn't it? And I know I said on the podcast, and I said it on the air too, going into Wednesday's game, I said definitively, this team is going to win game two with or without Giannis. If I'm honest, I was only saying that because I thought there was no chance Giannis wasn't playing. I thought that I had the answers to the test before the test came out so I could be a little bit cocky about it. And then when I got the test and I sat down, it was in Spanish with no Giannis. That's why I was so confident they're going to win game two with or without Giannis, because I didn't think there was any option, any real option he wasn't going to play. This back injury has to be pretty painful for him not to be out there because he has proven time and time again, if it's a toughness thing, if it's a playing through pain thing, if there's no fracture, and there is, and all the x-rays and MRIs were clean, he has proven in, God, has he been in the league for 10 years? I need a second. (laughs) Has he been around for 10 years? You know what? I can't find the blog anymore because our blogging system totally changed over. So 12 years of blogs are just up in smoke. Isn't that fun? Isn't that great? It must have been 2019 or 2018. We switched over our blogging platform and whatever IT department was working on that expunged every other blog that was on the old system. They're all gone. 10 years of the blog's gone. But I do remember... The night they drafted Giannis, how am I going to say his name? I do sports the next day. I was scuffling. Anadokounmpo. How am I going to say that? The night they drafted him, or the morning after they drafted him, I wrote a blog 
So this was June of 2013. And in my initial reaction to the Giannis draft pick was we drafted with the 15th overall pick, a guy who can't even make the Greek A League. <laughs> He's in the Greek B League. What are we doing? But then I had time to ruminate on it. And when you saw how tall and long he was and the raw athleticism, what was also disconcerting the night of that draft was when you saw the footage of the Greek B-League, it was recorded like it was on a VHS tape from 1992. That didn't really give you a whole lot of encouragement or optimism either. But after I had a night to ponder it, the blog I wrote the next day said, this is what the Bucks have to do. And they have to swing big. Because in that moment in 2013, there was a real chance that that franchise was going to go away. If they couldn't get things turned around, if they couldn't unearth a superstar player, which had to come from the draft because they were never going to lure a superstar player to Milwaukee, if they don't swing big in a draft, which they did, and hit, they're probably going to be gone in three or four years or five years, or they're going to go to Seattle. That was a real thing back then with Herb Cole. We didn't know what management was doing. You knew you needed a new arena, but who was going to fund it? The team had been so bad or an eight seed or whatever. That was as good as it had gotten for the Bucks for since 2001, a seven or an eight seed and out in the first round. There were real feelings of this team is going away. So after I had time to think about that, and think about the potential high ceiling on a guy like Giannis. And we didn't expect him to play in Milwaukee that year. We thought he was going to play internationally for a year or two before we even saw him. But he did play his rookie year. But I remember comparing him to, <laughs> there's that old school, maybe I can find it and splice it in here. John, give yourself a little second. I had to look over at a certain point during the meal and see a, a waitress taking an order. And, uh, and I found myself wondering uh, what color her underpants might be. Her panties. Uh... Odds are they're probably basic white cotton underpants, but I, I started thinking, well, maybe they're maybe they're maybe they're silk panties. Maybe maybe it's maybe it's a thong. Maybe it's a maybe it's something really cool that I don't even know about. You know. And- there gave myself a little gap in case I can find it. I compared it to the scene in Old School where Frank is at therapy. And he's in the trust tree with the nest, and he's talking about the waitress's underwear. Maybe it's something really cool I don't even know about. That was my take on Giannis comparing him to that scene. Chances are he's just going to be a standard NBA forward who averages 14 and 10 and doesn't change the franchise. But what if he's something different? What if he's something I don't even know about? What if he can do things really cool that I don't even know about yet? And that's what turned out to have happened with Giannis over the course of his career. But he has proven over 10 years... If he can get through the pain, which he almost always does, he is out there. That leads me to believe this is a pretty painful injury. And I know he was on the sideline in game two, and there were a lot of people saying that on Twitter. Well, if he's on the sideline celebrating and jumping up and down, why can't he be on the floor? There's a large difference between celebrating a made three at a timeout or standing than playing the way, the reckless way that Giannis plays, throwing his body around and getting knocked around over the course of a 48-minute, where he's playing 40 of them probably, or 38 minutes in an NBA playoff game. There is a large gap in between those two things. But then when he was ruled out two hours before game time, because they upgraded him. He was doubtful on Tuesday, questionable on Wednesday, and we've seen that with Giannis. He's doubtful one day, oh boy, he's going to be out. Then 12 hours later, he's questionable, and then 12 hours later, he's playing. I've been to games like that where you expect him not to play, and then two hours beforehand, he's out there warming up, and he ends up putting up 35 and 10 and five blocks on the night and playing 35 minutes. But when I saw that tweet at 5 o'clock, I had that sinking feeling of, oh my God, he's not playing for real? And while I do still have confidence in this team, remember, 
this is we've always said we've said all year this is the deepest team they're deeper than the championship team and when you look back to that championship run don't forget this team won eastern conference finals games without Giannis they clinched the eastern conference finals with two wins without Giannis they certainly should be able to take care of an eight seed without Giannis if they can do that but given the circumstances and how good Miami looked and how clueless Milwaukee looked for most of that game one, which, again, should not be a shock. Then you lose Giannis. You've got some bad, ominous playoff history with the Heat. All of these things started rushing through my brain, and I started to think about, God, what if the Heat are hot for another game? They could be hot for another game. It's just two games. NBA teams can get hot for two games. What if the Bucks are cold for two games? What if they shoot 20% from beyond the arc? That's not that out of the ordinary either for this Bucks team. That can be very cold. What if they lose at home? Can they win two in Miami? Down 0-2, going back to Miami. Then you got to win games three and four. All of these thoughts started cascading in a waterfall down my brain, like a lot of Bucks fans. And I was so nervous by the time the game finally started. But then very quickly... Tensions were calmed by two people, Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez. To me, on Wednesday, those two guys set the tone. Bobby Portis set the actual tone, the attitude of the game. There are certain times when I like Bobby in that starting five, and when you're in a situation where you're down 1-0 in the playoffs and you're at home and you need what has been sometimes a quiet Pfizer form crowd, you need them to bring some WWE energy that's what Bobby gives you. Bobby came out on edge. He was begging for a technical. He got one, and he was basically begging to get a technical early on in that game just to get the crowd revved up, to get the juices going on the sideline. He set that tone and that attitude for the team with the mentality he brought on the floor. The mayor. Bobby, the mayor. I would bet on him, by the way, to be a future Wisconsin politician. If you gave me a futures bet, I'd throw 100 bucks on that in a heartbeat, that at some point in the next 30 years, Bobby will hold office somewhere. I would definitely throw money on that. That would be a John Rom-style bet. <laughs> I would throw money on that in a heartbeat. But his attitude and getting in Kevin Love's face and getting in Bam Adebayo's face, jaw-jacking and mean-mugging and hyping the crowd up, that set the actual tone for the game. In terms of his play on the court, he was great. He had a double-double. But there were other players that had much bigger statistical games and impact on the actual playing of the game than Bobby. But without Bobby's attitude right out of the gate, it becomes a much tougher game. And then they did what we wanted them to do. Coming out of game one, we talked about it on the podcast on Monday, kept Brooke the ball. They cannot defend Brooke or Bobby. They don't have the size. Bam has size, but Bam is not an aggressive defender. He's an okay shot blocker. But he is not an aggressive physical defender. And if you just pound it in there time and time and time again, I don't believe they have the guys to stop them. And they didn't. And Brooke Lopez scored 14 first quarter points. It was back in Brooklyn, Brooke Lopez, where he was a back to the basket, back him down center before he changed his whole game over. That established that part of the game. And then once they got up by 10 in the second quarter, and they got on that huge run, 22-4 to run to blow the game up when the game was over at that point. But once they got that 10-point lead, then you get a stop, and then somebody hits a three. It's contagious. The shooting is contagious. It was a regression game. The Miami Heat, although they the raw numbers at the end of the game were not bad for Miami, a lot of that came in the fourth quarter when the Bucks were basically in prevent and just trying to drain the clock. A lot of those deep bench players like Duncan Robinson, he got the start, but he didn't play much during the game until the fourth quarter. They started to get some open looks against the deeper bench players for the Bucks. That altered the numbers a bit, but for the most part, it was a regression game. The Heat have not been a good shooting team all year. Max Struess cooled down. Kevin Love became 2023 Kevin Love that got cut by the Cavs and not 2016 Kevin Love that won a title with the Cavs, averaging 20 and 15. A lot of those players that were so key for the Heat in game one 
could not hold up in game two, which you expect them to be what their season averages say they are. And on the Bucks side, after going 11 of 45 from beyond the arc in game one, they score 81 first half points, a franchise record in a playoff game. They tie an NBA record with 25 made threes, shooting about 50%. Again, a regression game. If you combine the numbers in games one and two, they're shooting about 35 or 36% from beyond the arc. That's their season average. But everybody was getting it. Grayson got hot. Joe Ingles was 6 of 7 from beyond the arc. Those threes looked as easy as layups for Joe Ingles. And we got the Pat game. We got the playoff Pat game. Patty Connaughton, I speculated on the air that we were going to maybe see some minutes from him given Wes Matthews was out, given the playoff history for Pat, how integral he was on that 2021 team. And even though he's had a bad year, he had a bad regular season by his own admission. The shot wasn't there. He had calf injuries, soft tissue injuries that kept him out, never got in a rhythm. He's still a great playoff performer. And when he got in that game in the second quarter, I thought, oh, we might get it here. He's going to get minutes. He didn't get any minutes in game one. He's got a chance here, and when he hit those first two threes, and then he had that steal where he ripped the ball away and took it coast-to-coast for a layup, goes 6 of 10 from beyond the arc, 22 points off the bench. Everybody chipped in. Drew had a great game. Chris had a pretty good game. He was more of a facilitator. You didn't need him to score 30-plus like he did in game one. He was good at getting other players the ball. He hit a couple of threes in that 22-4 run, and they just didn't look back. They... That was a stabilizing game. It kind of reminded me of Game 2 in that Eastern Conference Finals matchup against the Hawks in 2021 where they lost Game 1 and Trey Young had a Jimmy Butler kind of game like in Game 1 in this series where he hit everything and was shimmying and the Bucks were down 1-0. And then I'm pretty sure if you look back at the box scores, you'll find in Game 2 of that series the Bucks did something similar to what they did to Miami in Game 2 and won by double digits and won going away. That resets and reestablishes the Bucks as the favorite in the series. Not saying they weren't after game one, but it just does give you that sense of relief if you're a Bucks fan of, okay, all right, we got past the game one Bucks. They blow this team out without Giannis. We are back in the driver's seat. That said, they still have to go to Miami and still have to win a game. They do not have home court. You've got to go and get one, at least in Miami. Just like game one was only one game. I said this on the blog. Groundbreaking analysis incoming here. Better cool this take off. Blow on this take like a hot potato the inside of a hot pocket. Game one was just one game. And we said that after game one. Let's not freak out. Game one was just one game. Well, game two is just one game as well. They didn't win the series on Wednesday. I would say they proved why they're the big favorites in this series on Wednesday, but they didn't win it. This is a 1-1 best-of-seven series. You have to go to Miami and get a win, hopefully in Game 3. We'll see if Giannis is out there. We haven't heard much about Giannis since that game, other than that he was on the sideline and celebrating and seemed to be moving around there, okay, but that doesn't give you a good indication of how he would handle himself in a game. I still think, and I really think this, I'm not making it up, After game two, I really think they can beat this team without Giannis. I'm not sure I want to test that if you can get him out there. But we'll see if he's available for game three on Saturday in Miami. 6.30 tip time on Saturday. Monday is game four. We don't have a tip time on that. We did get a tip time for game five which will be back in Milwaukee next Wednesday. I was already bitching about the 8 o'clock tip time last Wednesday on a weeknight. It's an 8.30 tip time on Wednesday on for game five next week. On a weeknight? <laughs> 8.30? I felt like George Costanza in that dealership, the car dealership episode. All I want from the person that scheduled this 8.30 tip time is an apology and for him to be fired. All I want is my 75 cents back, an apology, and for him to be fired. 
I just I don't understand. There must be zero national appeal to this game. It's hard when you're when you're a diehard of one of the teams in the series. You think everybody should care about this series, and because the Bucks just won a title, and because they're the number one overall seed in the NBA, I'm assuming more people care about them nationally, but maybe not. Obviously not for the times they're getting on this. And that one's on NBA TV, too. A lot of people learned some hard lessons on Wednesday, too. NBA TV blacks out in home markets. It's not like TNT or ESPN, where if you just have those on YouTube TV or a streaming app, you can watch the Bucks play. NBA TV is kind of like MLB TV, where they will black things out in home markets. I think a lot of Bucks fans <laughs> signed up for free trials of YouTube TV or Fubo TV or whatever. If they don't have Bally Sports, they signed up for free trials to get NBA TV and hope they could watch it that way. And then they settled in after doing all the work to get the free trial and downloading the app and logging in. And then they clicked on NBA TV and got blackout restriction. And they couldn't watch anything. I guess flip on the radio. Luckily, I have access to the Bally Sports app as well as YouTube TV. But just a heads up, that's what it's going to be on at 8.30. That's a 9.30 tip time in Miami, isn't it? Isn't Miami Eastern time zone? Are you kidding me? If you're a Heat fan, if you're one of the 11 Heat fans, a 9.30 tip time on a Wednesday. But we focus it on Game 3 now. That is on the way on Saturday, 6.30 on ESPN. Let's talk about the Brewers. What a day on Wednesday. They complete the sweep in the afternoon, and the Bucks get a win in Game 2 that night. That's a solid Wisconsin sports day. What a trip for this squad. We talked at the beginning of this 10-game trip about how a 5-5 five and five road trip would be great. West Coast trips are traditionally trips where Brewer seasons go to die. It wasn't going to go to die this early in the year, I don't think, unless you go 1-9 and nine or something absurd like that. But they do not fare well on these trips. And these were good opponents. Arizona, I guess we'll see as the year wears on if they can hang with it. They're in first place right now in the NL West. They seem to have a pretty talented team and a pretty talented pitching staff. You lose that series. Then you go to San Diego, which by every measure is a team that's going to be contending for a title this year. Not just an NL pennant, but a title. Take three out of four there. Then you go to Seattle, a playoff team last year, and they were on a four or five game winning streak going into the first game of the series. And you sweep them. First time since 1989, of course, with different scheduling, that the Brewers have gotten a sweep. Sweepness in Seattle. Am I right or am I right? Waka waka. First time since 89 they accomplished that. And they did get after in that game or in that series. The Seattle ace, Logan Gilbert, they were all over him. Brewers did suffer a few more injuries. That seems to be the theme this year. Hey, the Brewers got a win. Great news. They won. Oh, great. Oh, bad news. Somebody went down with injury. Corbin left Monday's game with a left pec strain. This is exactly why I don't have muscles. This is why early in my life I decided if I have muscles, then you got to worry about straining them, tearing them. If you don't have muscles, you don't have to worry about any of that. But he had a left pec strain. He left that game after five and two-thirds of one-run ball. And he seems to think it's not a big deal. Brandon Woodruff also thought his shoulder wasn't a big deal. But this legitimately appears to be a not big deal. Not a nothing burger, but a not that big of a deal. He played catch or did whatever his routine is the next day. It sounds like he's on target to start on Sunday against Boston. That would be his next regularly scheduled start. We'll see if that happens. It does appear as though if he misses anything, he'd miss one start, but they're planning on him being out there on Sunday. That's good news. Garrett Mitchell, though, hurt himself sliding into third on Tuesday. They slot Joey Weimer then into center field. My thought was you'd see Sal Fralick, who, as we discussed, is a higher-rated prospect than all these guys. All these guys that have been playing great. Bryce Terang and Weimer's been a little touch and go at the plate lately, but he's such a good defender. And who's the other guy? Garrett Mitchell. Am I missing someone there? I don't think so. 
But of all those guys, Freilich is rated above them, and Jackson Churio, who is the number one prospect in baseball, clearly is rated above everyone, not just anyone in the Brewer system, among everybody in any system. But my hope was we'd see Freilich then because he had such a good spring training they just couldn't work him into the roster. But he is also hurt. He's got a thumb injury. They call up somebody else, I forget who, from AAA Nashville to make his debut on Wednesday. But with all the injuries, and they've had a ton of them, Woodruff's out for a while. Don't forget Luis Arias, who was supposed to be a major part of this offense in the infield. He's basically out for the first half of the year. They're missing a lot of guys, and they're off to a 14-5 start. And it's important. Like we talked about, with the three guys looming, Woodruff, Burns, and Adamas, who it doesn't look like they're going to extend any of them at this point. I'm still hoping for Woodruff. But if this season would have gone south, if they would have started 5-14 and 14 instead of 14-5, and five, there would have been real conversations already about trading these guys before the deadline this year because their value will not be higher. They will not have a higher value. This is like Bitcoin at its highest value. Don't hang on to it for the roller coaster trip down. It will not be any higher than the deadline this year because whatever team would acquire them at the deadline this year gets them for not only this year and a playoff push, but could have them for all of next year or could flip them in the offseason if they don't end up winning a title or getting whatever they want out of it. They could flip them in the offseason to get some of their cost back that they spent to get them at the deadline. But luckily, for a Brewer fan perspective, they're off to a hot start, which hopefully means that they're going to hang on to all these guys if they can keep the good vibes going and this mix now of veterans and young guys in the rotation, the bullpen's been superb. If they can keep all this rolling, my hope would be, acknowledging that they did trade Josh Hader while they were in first place last year, my hope would be they would hang on to all these guys, and that makes that less of a question. We discussed how important a quick start is this year, and they got off to a quick start. And I didn't think that was necessarily a given, even though this team has talent. Given the way last year ended, I was very worried about a hangover coming into this year, but the young guys lifted that. They lifted that gloom right away and we are sitting now in a really good spot back at home with Boston starting tonight it's just the third trip for the Red Sox to Miller Park and Fam Field third trip ever they came in 2003 they came in 2017 and this is the third trip this is what I like about this new schedule you're seeing a lot of different places we haven't seen the Brewers play in Seattle in forever that was kind of fun to just watch them in a different stadium you're going to get these different teams now at AmFam Field. Next weekend is the Angels weekend. I'm going to at least one of those games. I am bummed. Shohei Otani was supposed to pitch at AmFam Field on Saturday next weekend. Could you imagine? That would have been sold out. But apparently the Angels had a rain out this week, and it pushed everybody back a few days. Now he's not going to start. It doesn't look like at all that weekend. That's a bummer. But he'll still be playing offense because he's Babe Ruth. He's a modern-day Babe Ruth. And Mike Trout and Otani, hopefully they're all healthy by the time we get to next weekend. That's always an interesting question when it comes to Angels players. But I like this. I like how we're seeing different teams, different players. You're getting a different taste every series. It starts tonight with the Red Sox. Also, thank God we have regular start times. We had two or three games on this West Coast trip that were afternoon start times, but all of the other games, I basically was able to watch four or five innings before I drifted off and then loaded up Score Center the second I woke up the next morning. Well, what a trip. Seven and three on the 10 game, no days off trip. Now you're at home with very winnable games. The Red Sox are not a great team this year. That doesn't mean you're going to go out there and roll them in three games. You know how baseball works. That's baseball, babe. It can be tough. But this is a winnable series. The Tigers are a last-place team or close to last-place team. That's a winnable series. They've got some very winnable games and a long homestand starting tonight. A 7-10 first pitch with Freddie Peralta going for the Brew Crew. Fun start for them. And then we'll end on Aaron Rodgers. Nothing has happened this week. Not even really a rumor. Oh, I guess there was the rumor of the Titans, that the Titans could potentially be in the mix. I have always thought 
that that division makes a lot of sense to me from uh, wanting to get back to the playoffs perspective. If it's important for Aaron Rodgers to get back to the playoffs and make a run at a title, the easiest path if he's going to the AFC is the AFC South. The AFC East, I'm trying to figure out, and I guess we'll wait to see what happens when he does go to New York. He is going, right? Are we sure about that? When that trade happens... I will be very curious to see what the betting odds are for the AFC East when you've already got a loaded Bills team with Josh Allen, a perennial MVP candidate sitting there and a lot younger than Rodgers. I'll be curious to see what the betting odds are just to win that division. I'm not sure Rodgers and the Jets are even the favorites in their own division if he gets there. Maybe a push? That's about as as good as you could hope for. But in the AFC South, if they found a way, if the Titans found a way to get Rodgers with Derrick Henry and that offensive line, and maybe you get a wide receiver or two, they're the favorites to win that division. Even with Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville seemingly on the rise, even if he went to Indy, which was what, a three-win team last year, a four-win team, with Jonathan Taylor and that offensive line and Michael Pittman and some of the young wide receivers they have there playing indoors nine games or eight games a year, in a climate-controlled environment where Rodgers thrives, I would guess they would be the favorites in that division if you went there. That division always made sense to me. He does have a home in Nashville for tax purposes. From what I've heard, for per sources, there's either a low tax or a no tax rate there for whatever house he purchased. So that's a part of the narrative as well. But that rumor did come out. It doesn't seem to be too substantial. And in all likelihood, it's the Packers leaking rumors. It's probably the Packers just throwing things out there to try to get more leverage on the Jets and say, well, we might have other options. We have the Titans. We have the Niners. I saw that rumor, too. The Niners might be interested now. My guess is that is a Packer leak where they're trying to put pressure on the Jets to make this deal. It doesn't feel like this is going to happen before next week. We're less than a week away from the draft. I said on last week's podcast, Four weeks ago or whatever it is now, five weeks ago when the McAfee interview happened, if you asked me then if I thought this deal would be done by day one of the draft, 95% yes. Last week's podcast, I said 50-50. At this point, with how little speed or momentum there is now behind this thing, I would say 25% this gets done before the draft. I suppose if they're not getting a first-round pick, if that 13th overall pick, if that ship has sailed and it's only going to be a second pick or a conditional third pick, I suppose the the trade could happen on Friday then. It doesn't have to happen before the draft. It could happen on Friday before we get set for round two on Friday and then whatever it is, three, four, five, six on Friday or on Saturday and Sunday. It could happen then. It just doesn't feel like it does. It doesn't feel like anything's going to happen. I can't believe we're still dealing with this. It's almost May. And like we've said, If the draft comes and goes next weekend, there's nothing that's going to happen until June 1st. It would be insane for the Packers to trade him before they get that cap relief post-June 1st. If they get through this draft and they get nothing back in this year's draft, then there is zero incentive to get this done before June 1st. So then we're staring down the barrel of at least five more weeks of nothing going on there. That'll do it for us here this morning. Have a happy, safe weekend. Hopefully we're coming back with a victory call on Monday and getting set for game four in Miami on Monday with a 2-1 series lead. Hopefully, hopefully the Brewers keep it rolling at Miller Park over the weekend with the Red Sox. And if we have any movement on an Aaron Rodgers deal, which I don't think is going to happen, we'll discuss that too. We'll get back after it then. Have a great weekend. 